Yo, yo, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Dirty Hurts podcast. Uh, on this week's episode, we have the one and only Cyber Optics. Uh, we get into some fun things about his music life and his regular life and just, you know, tips and tricks of the trade. He's been doing it for so long that it's nice to get a get a little insight on the industry. Um, do us a favor and follow us on Spotify, Dirty Hurts Podcast, and Instagram, Dirty Hurts, D-I-R-T-Y-H-Z. Um, you can also find our personal accounts in the bio if you guys want some more content from us. Um, and yeah, we really appreciate y'all. Uh, follow Cyber Optics. He's on Instagram and Bandcamp and YouTube. Uh, Bandcamp and YouTube for his music. And yeah, let's get into the interview. Peace. another episode of the dirty hurts podcast i am your host high fives hanging out with the homies homies what up y'all what's up and today we have a very special guest i'm excited to have him here we got the one the only cyber optics how are we doing today i'm doing great guys good good so yeah um you played here at the trap a few weeks ago mm-hmm. right yep yeah, so man, I've heard nothing but good things about that set. I saw some people post that it was the best set they've ever heard. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so um you really uh shook things up by playing some synth wave and and I loved it. So like you know, I oh, yeah. I remember you saying something about us or changing your style and starting to go into that. Um, what kind of happened with that? Why'd you go that direction? Um well, I mean, I guess first and foremost, I really enjoyed that kind of vibe um, and sound that Synthwave has. Like, yeah. it has a more, it, it still can be high energy, but it's more melodic and based around, um, you know, note progression. And it's very, like, motivating type music. Um, and all the aesthetics with it, like kind of the cyberpunk t- and outrun type stuff like nice driving music. I don't know, like I'd been making dubstep for, you know, 10 to 12 years nice, um, before yeah. I got into Synthwave. And I kind of just hit this point where it wasn't something that I, I mean, I still enjoy listening to like a lot of the uh, older dubstep. Uh-huh. Um, like some of the more classic stuff from like 2008 to 2013 around that era. I still listen to that stuff to this day, but as far as like making it, I don't enjoy, I don't get like the same satisfaction out of making it now. Um, It kind of felt like you got like everything out of it that you uh, needed to got your creative. I mean, I guess there's, yeah. And I, I guess there's always, you know, more that can be done, but it just wasn't something that I was satisfied making and then when i started messing around with synthwave i kind of got that that feeling of excitement and motivation when i would work on synthwave and you know produce it and compose like the actual music 
um, it got me excited and it was something where I would, you know, want to wake up in the morning and first thing I do is, you know, start a new synthwave track. And that's kind of how it used to be with dubstep. And, you know, there's a whole, you know, list of things that kind of swirl around um, with dubstep. You know, it's, I, mean, I feel like it got really big so quick and yeah. uh, very like oversaturated. But I mean, even beyond that, like at the end of the day, it just wasn't something that I enjoyed sitting and making so much. Like uh-huh. um, when I was younger, I used to kind of love to sit around and, you know, make crazy noises and stuff like that. But, you know, that kind of stuff takes hours. You know, you could sit for hours and just work on one bass sound. And when I kind of had to work a full-time job and I get off work, it's like, I can't really afford to sit around and make sounds for, you know, two to three hours, (laughs) you know, and it's not necessarily something I wanted to do. And with dubstep, I feel like it's all about the sounds and it's all about your sound design and it takes time. Absolutely. And it just wasn't something that I could put forth that same effort into. But with Synthwave, you know, I can sit and write out something fairly quickly and then flesh it out. And it's something that it works for me where I am in, in my life now. Nice, nice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, what were what are some of the artists you listen to and Synthwave and or just in general? Oh, man. Um, well, probably the number one guy that I listen to who I draw a lot of inspiration and kind of use his music to um, as like kind of the gold standard uh, would be a guy named Midnight Danger. Um, OK, it's really, really good. I played some of his stuff that Thursday that I was in Indianapolis. Very nice. Um, Mid- Midnight Danger um, a group called Night Stop. Um, they're also really good um lost years who's kind of a bigger name um i believe if you've ever heard of the movie kung fury uh-huh. um it's like a it's like a pretty much like a synthwave 80s movie like it's got all like the the tropes of the retro futuristic kind of stuff in it yeah he did the music for that movie and that's where i kind of first heard him um so he's up there and then another group um called mega hammer um those (laughs) those handful of uh artists is who i mainly listen to as far as synthwave goes i know there's more out there but those are my top ones all right cool oh heck yeah so um you were living out in la for a little bit right from yeah from 2009 to 2014 so about five years Okay. okay Um, so Alex, we're now at one point, weren't you staying with Reed out in LA for a little bit or like, okay. So like kind of going back to the early days of cyber optics, like, dude, you had releases on play me records and like, dude, you were, you were that class, like even with you and liquid stranger and excision that are like your peers and like they're supporters of you. Like you still get your name thrown on lost lands voting even as a synthwave artist now. Um, so, I mean, it's awesome to see the respect that you've garnered um, amongst some of like the top guys, like dude, liquid strangers really come into his own excisions doing his thing. And these are guys that like you get love and respect and, and, and obviously that comes from that, 
that tenure, that those years that you've put into this to kind of like keep that and and be that person. So like, I don't know if you want to, you know, especially living in LA and all that, if you want to elaborate more on, on that part of. Um, yeah, sure. Um, at that point I had just graduated high school. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to do something in, in music. Um, and I had been making, I had been listening to a lot of excision, Datsik, Liquid Stranger. And I really, that sound kind of resonated with me, that very sci-fi, robotic, futuristic sound. Um, and then I ended up making my first, I guess, official dubstep song was Kong. And um, I think Reed Speed heard Kong and said, hey, um, we, why don't you make a track for us? And so I had a lot of motivation going into that, and I ended up making Geisha. And um, Dude, yes, Geisha yeah. actually turned out to be a pretty big deal as far as back then goes. Um, and you know, I told it was Reed, something no one had done before, man. Honestly, like now it's definitely more common to hear that kind of like sound because of the popularity of it. But like, dude, you guys, you guys were the ones that literally came up with that when it wasn't a thing. I mean, it was definitely something different. It, you know, it had its melodic elements and it had the, you know, it had the vibe, you know, when you heard the name of the song, you could envision that in your head. And that's kind of what I try to do with a lot of my music is um, if you hear the name of the track, it can automatically just paint a picture to what the track sounds like. You know, I try to keep a theme with all of my music, you know, because I, I have stuff in my head that I'm seeing when I make the songs, too. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Reed, you know, she messaged me. And she said, you know, do you want to do more stuff with us? And I said, yeah, I'm not. Um, you know, we talked back and forth and it kind of got decided that I was going to come out there and, you know, see what life was like out there and pursue music. Um, so I ended up driving, I packed up all my stuff, drove to, um, Santa Monica where she lived at the time, which is about as West of LA as you can go. It's on the beach. Mm, Um, and I stayed out there with her for maybe a little under a month, um, met, met some cool people, ended up getting my own place with them. Um, and then we started setting up tours, um, with Reed. We did the bass monster tour during that time. I was making a lot of other songs like tie fighter, um, and that, and pimping I made out there. Um, so it was a good time. I, I, it was a busy time and, I was definitely, you know, staying busy, but at the same time, it was really nice to kind of make it out there as long as I did with just making money from music. You know, it wasn't like I was working full time or anything. So, you know, that's something that I'll kind of always hold as a good accomplishment is, you know, being able to do, do stuff spontaneously and maintain it through just music alone. Heck yeah. I was wondering too, like what got you, into the electronic scene like what was some of the maybe some of the artists or even like a genre that kind of pulled you in that was like yeah i kind of want to try and attempt to make this kind of stuff and turn it into something you know if possible because like maybe at the time you didn't think it was possible like maybe most of us starting off but like you know hard work pays off and stuff so um i had a friend in high school 
um, I, I'd, I'd been into electronic music for a while through uh, certain video games. Um, like I really was into the music of Silent Hill. Yes. Um, oh, that game. Yeah. Terrifying. I really dug the soundtrack to the first two games for that. Uh, there's a game called Midnight Club 2. Oh, uh, classic. And that had a lot of electronic music in it that you really didn't hear anywhere else, uh, especially being like a young kid in the States, internet, what, like there wasn't yeah. much YouTube. You, you couldn't just look a song up on the internet at that time. Right. You know, and that's where I first found a lot of like true electronic music, like hard house, um, yep. you know, some stuff like that. Eventually I kind of got into hard style for a minute before dubstep, you know, just because I was absorbing all this different music that was kind of opening up thanks to the internet um, and stuff like that. But I, my buddy Jordan, who I graduated high school with, he's the same age as me. He is uh, on my Embryon side project. He's the other half nice. of it. Sweet. Um, and he actually was messing around in free loops um, before me. And um, he is really he's a really good keyboardist. And so he was, you know, recording stuff on his keyboard and laying it out in fruity loops. And he showed me. And I was like, you know, kind of surprised because I didn't know that it was possible for just one person to kind of do all of that stuff mm. with one with a program that you could just get on your computer. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, I ended up getting Fruity Loops because that's what he used. And we kind of, you know, went back and forth and, you know, teaching each other things that we'd find out. I kind of got, you know, um, really obsessed with it. And I really enjoyed it. And I had a Toshiba little crappy laptop. I don't even know what the specs were, but it was a really, um, really low performance laptop. And I was making music on that. Um, I actually made Geisha on that. And I had so much, you know, I would load up some stuff in the project and the audio would skip and pop. And I would have to, I would have to render the song off to listen to it cleanly and then go back and change things. Oh, so wow. It was, um, it was a hassle. Like it was only through pure will and determination that I stuck with it and kept making stuff and teaching myself on that awful setup. Um, <laughs> right. And, you know, and eventually when I got money from, you know, doing shows, um, doing tours and stuff, I had enough money to build myself a complete brand new desktop. And that was one of the first things I did. So I wouldn't have to kind of put up with all the uh, limitations of a laptop that was not very uh, powerful, you know. And, you know, I kind of went from there. I still have this. I have in my computer right now. I still have some of those same parts. I just recently upgraded it. And uh, that's been real nice. So what's your setup looking like? What kind of things you use? Are you usually just like mouse and computer or you use uh other instruments or anything like that or pads or uh believe it or not i'd use just mouse and keyboard um yeah. i've i've kind of wanted to it's hard for me because i want to maybe get more tools mm-hmm. but at the same time like the money that i would spend on equipment and the time that i would spend learning it i would rather invest that money and time into just gathering more VSTs and use the time to make more music 
Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like it, you know, I would have to invest so much to make use of outside equipment. It's like, I already know how to use what I got and the time that it would take to learn a lot of that stuff. I'd just rather invest it back into making more music. Yeah. Well, so uh, <clears throat> with your with your love for video games, because I mean, dude, I see you posting everything from like the new Pokemon Go snapshots to like the throwback like games and stuff. You know, your your two D side scrollers. Um, I also know you're into like you know Bloodborne and and oh, yeah. Souls, which is like insane. Um, That's my favorite stuff right there. So as an artist, like I know you want to contribute your music to video games as well. And so what are your goals to kind of see that into fruition and just kind of what what are some things that you want to do musically that you are trying to incorporate in that realm of things? Um, I definitely want to work with video games. Um, And it doesn't matter really what kind it's more so, you know, what opportunity I get. And if I get any kind of opportunity to do like to do that, um, I feel like I would really excel at that and use that as kind of an opportunity to prove, you know, to everybody else and myself, like, Hey, this is what I was meant to do. Um, and I mean, of course, like the you know best case scenario would be, you know, to work on some kind of futuristic cyberpunkish type mm-hmm. thing. But I mean, I have no um, boundaries as to the genre of game or yeah. anything like that. It's just it's more like- so just getting the opportunity to do it. Well, even, even with your dubstep stuff, man, like the, the solar album um, for people that don't know, like that was a uh, two vinyl pressed full album right right yeah man and um that came out on play me and i remember it sat on like number one in the releases back when bport was like really predominant i mean it's still it's still a a good thing to be on but definitely back then it was a little bit different um and i mean dude it was like what two or three months that it sat at like number one and i mean dude it had it had truth remixing you collabs with manis and it was just for me it was it was a true testament to your ability as a producer so kind of what what did you do in putting together the album and also feeling comfortable to experiment in a wide variety of things because it was super diverse you know yeah um well it it was more so i was kind of at the right place at the right time and i'd had a lot of those songs you know, for close to a year um, before I finally released the album, because it was something where I'm the kind of person that, you know, I make something and I'm proud of it for about a couple of days until I start working on something else. <laughs> and, you know, then I like that new stuff better. And that's kind of it was this cycle of, you know, all right, well, I just made that. I should probably release it, but let me make one more thing. And then just, you know, it kind of snowballed into, you know, over 15 tracks. Um, and finally, we just decided, okay, like, I'm gonna make one last song, and now we're going to release it. And it's something that I've always kind of had trouble with is, um, you know, putting out music, like I was really bad about making songs, uploading a clip of them to SoundCloud, and then not wanting to release it, 
um, because I made something that I thought was better down the road. Yeah. And, you know, there's people out there that they, they want that music. It's like, you know, I'm kind of a big critic on my music and from experience, I, you know, I noticed that people that listen to it, they don't think about it. Like I do, they have a song and like people still like Geisha and Pimpin Mm -hmm. and all those tracks, you know, but to me in my head, since, you know, I think back and I was, you know, 21, 22, making those songs, you know, I'm almost 10 years older than that now. Um, it's more so like, I don't want to say like I've kind of outgrown those songs, but I think that, you know, the stuff that I make now is definitely better. Um, so, okay. So perfect, man. Now you just released a new album and it was your first album in what a decade, a decade, right. Or just about, or. Uh, I think, I, I think, yeah, I think solar was released in 2014. So about seven years. Wow. Yeah. So, okay. What was the difference in your mentality going into your current album, the new album, it's all synth wave and it's absolutely phenomenal. The art looks amazing. I feel like it's a very solid branding overall, especially for the sound. Mm-hmm. Were there any differences when you were writing this album not just in the style, but just kind of the the process. Did you feel more comfortable? Kind of what what was different about writing this one? Um, I made a song, uh, a synthwave track, and I really really liked it. And I thought about releasing it as a single, and then I, you know, I thought in my head, you know, what if I can make more songs that are this good? And, uh, you know, I thought, you know, maybe it's time to put out a big release and actually invest into it. Um, Because to be completely honest, I'm not too big of a fan on releasing through labels, I guess, right now. I wanted to have something where I kind of had full control over it. I funded it. I keep all the money that I make from it. Um, And sometimes a label can be good if they're, actively advertising you and promoting you and pushing you um everywhere you know like you that makes you want to release with them because they're building you up as an artist and making you bigger and it's kind of been a while since i felt like any label had really done that and nobody is going to push your stuff or be as proud of your stuff as you are you know and and that was just something where, you know, I just kind of, you know, it's, it was time to do some kind of cyber optics 2.0 and it more of like a fresh start with the, you know, kind of leave the dubstep stuff behind. And, you know, when I put this out, this is a, you know, this is something that's going to signify the change in my music. You know, when people hear this, it's not going to be, dubstep it's going to be something different and that's kind of what I really wanted and it you know like I said I funded everything myself from the artwork to the mastering to the advertising and I ended up making you know pretty much all that money back which is what I wanted you know I'm not trying to make you know six figures off music (laughs) you know like it would be nice but you know that's a pipe dream in in the world that we live in um as far as people buying your music and you making money off of it, if somebody really wants to listen to my stuff that bad and downloads it illegally, like, I don't care, you know, I've done it, you know, it's, 
it's something that I really can't control. And I can only really, yeah, I can only really say thank you to the people that have supported and did buy the album and I didn't lose money when I did it. And that allows me to continue making and putting out new stuff. Yeah. So I had a, something. So recently I've started putting out content, um, video, uh, streaming video games and something that, you know, with starting this kind of little journey I'm going down, I had to think about what platforms I wanted to, to release this content on. Do I want to go to YouTube, Twitch, you know, Facebook gaming, Um, And then when I was doing a little bit of research on you, I came across uh, your SoundCloud and you put a video or, you know, a track out there saying how you're no longer going to be uploading music on SoundCloud and you want to kind of gear more towards um, YouTube releases and Bandcamp. Um, What kind of just what went into that? Because I know a lot of indie producers, I think they're just now getting to the stage of where they're releasing their own music and kind of just getting into that point okay it just a lot of people just you know soundcloud this is what i'm going to hit because that's kind of the industry standard for a lot of people um so it was real interesting hearing you saying you know that's not what's working out for me or that's not the best route for me i'm going to focus these other categories um, or these other channels and just like so what what went into that that decision and Um, I got an email from SoundCloud and it was a payout one day and the payout was like 70 cents. (laughs) And I mean, I'm not kidding. That's what it was. And it was insulting to me because I mean, I take you back 10 years ago, there was no ads on SoundCloud. Yep. (laughs) You know, you paid, you paid them to have more upload space, which is fine. You know, they provide a service. I'm okay with paying them, but when you look at my SoundCloud, I have over 2 million plays and you just think about over time, how many ads mm-hmm. that they uh-huh. played over my music and I'm not being fairly compensated for that. I'm paying them $11 a month for SoundCloud pro and I'm making 70 cents back. It's like, at least let me make enough back to re up my subscription and not lose money by using your service. You know, because back in the day, they didn't play ads over my music. I wasn't expecting to get paid. And it was something where, you know, I helped draw traffic to their website. They helped me host my music. I mean, obviously, I helped them in some way with two million plays. I mean, you know, it's it may not be a lot in the grand scheme of things, but it's a respectable number. And I felt like I if I could take away soundcloud from the equation and people who keep going back to soundcloud to listen to my music Uh and let them go down a different avenue that's better for me somewhat financially like spotify is great a lot of people you know they trash talk spotify and you know we all could get paid better for music Mm -hmm. but i make more money from spotify than i do any other service have you looked Uh, in audius um no that that's a really good one that i've been like because i mean i agree with you and especially when you're paying that much a year to be on soundcloud and when you know my next tune is like a k-pop tune and it's like oh this is what we recommend um it's gotten to the point where like soundcloud's really dropping the ball on filtering their content and just how easy it is to buy and manipulate stats on there oh yeah it's ridiculous you know and it's like a lot of people either don't want to admit it or don't know about it, but a lot of social 
status is manipulated with proper marketing and those numbers are kind of fudged in all reality and it's not hard to do. Um, and I think Audius really limits that. Um, and it allows you to get paid directly, um, through their own type of digital currency and things like that. Um, it's really on the forefront and you've got a lot of respectable, larger artists that are switching over there and releasing content through there. And I think there's definitely more, um, more platforms that are up and coming that allows you to, um, kind of get the money for your work, you know, even Bandcamp with COVID was doing the first week of every month, a hundred percent of proceeds went directly to artists and that's yeah, still doing it too. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. You know, it's, it's nice to feel appreciated and respected for the amount of work and time we put into our crafts. Yeah, I just yeah, saw sure. um, Recno posted the other day about Audius and he was saying, cause he's going to be in Detroit next weekend with liquid stranger. Mm, and okay. he said, um, he posted about Audius saying that he's shooting a whole music video just off of the money he's made off of them yeah. and his short time wow. switching over. I know he's thrown some tracks out there recently that, got taken off and you know doing some big shit but still like for <laughs> i mean yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and i'm not sure well, yeah. i'm not sure about this but i release um through a website called distro kid mm-hmm. oh yeah and so. um and they will get your music on itunes spotify youtube audius may be one of the one of the platforms on there that are linked up to that i'm not sure i'd have to look it's it's more it's more or less like a it's more or less of a replacement for soundcloud and distro kid is definitely the route and i you know it's interesting that you bring that up and it's really the route independently to where you can get your stuff on spotify and things like that what you know like with your experience what did you think using it for your releases as far as distro kid i love it it's easy um i can do everything myself i I can upload a release in 10 minutes um, and they have like a little bank there on their website where um, it updates maybe every four months or something like that of all your streams of your releases that have been released through them and you can withdraw through the website um, and you can see there's nothing hidden you know you can see how many streams on this site, how many streams on this platform, what you made off of it. Um, and it kind of helped me take, you know, my music more into my own hands rather than kind of depending on a label to do it. Um, and it's very transparent. And, you know, I think it's good for people who aren't, you know, uh, super huge artists, more independent or more underground. I think it's a great tool for them. And they don't, they, distro kid really doesn't charge much i think it's 20 bucks a year you know okay nice so i mean it's worth it for me yeah it's at least worth learning and knowing yeah Yeah. hell 20 bucks yeah i thought it was a little bit more than that but 20 is not bad at all yeah that's cheap to get in on every like spotify and apple music and stuff like that like for sure just knowing just having the knowledge of the platform in general yeah yeah what what kind of things like uh do you see any um newer producers or artists just making some huge mistakes that you'd advise them from doing or anything that maybe is any advice on just keeping the momentum going with things or just big, yeah, just big mistakes they could make. 
Um, well, me, myself, I'm not too terribly great at keeping like momentum, honestly. <laughs> yeah. But, but, um, something that I struggled with a long time, and this was something that I kind of had to go down the road and find out for myself, um, was, you know, don't engage in drama on your, yes, your social media platforms. If somebody says something and they're trying to be an a-hole, you know, just ignore it or delete it. My, I like to delete the, the stuff because, you know, it's your, it, it's your platform and you shouldn't share it to somebody who is going to use it to voice negativity. Uh-huh. And that would be one of my main pieces of advice. Don't, don't react. Don't be a reactor to negative people, you know, it's, and, and, you know, a lot of people say it and it's easier said than done, but what really clicked to me was, you know, you can't really sit and look on YouTube comments or SoundCloud comments Mm -hmm. and pick out all the good ones and pay attention to them without also picking out all the negative ones and paying attention to them just as much, you know, people will say, Oh, well, don't listen to the negative stuff. And it's like, you can't really cherry pick Mm -hmm. critiques. You have to accept it all. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, when it's all said and done and you have taken in all those critiques, you have to ask yourself, you know, okay, well, how do I feel? Am I proud of my music? Do I still want to do this? And, you know, for me, it's like, it doesn't matter what anybody says, you know, I'm still going to make music and pursue art because if I don't, then, you know, I kind of lose to myself at that point. You know, I kind of, you know, you get yourself in a funk. Like I've been in it many times where it's like, you know, the life of a young, you know, 20 something year old traveling DJ producer, it can be very chaotic for somebody's mind who doesn't necessarily involve themselves in that kind of thing or is used to you know it's like when you graduate high school and you're just an average person I don't want to say like a nobody mm-hmm. but you know and then you start to in a matter of two or three years you start releasing music people want to know who you are people want to know about you mm-hmm. you're traveling meeting all these new people and it's for a young person's brain who is especially in the electronic music scene it can be very stressful and chaotic on a young person. And, you know, I kind of really, you know, bore the full force of that. Um, And, you know, when you're young and like, I'm for me, myself, um, there was some advice that I didn't really listen to and maybe I should have, And that's one thing that I could also recommend is, Mm -hmm. you know, if somebody's been around longer than you, and even if they are not, you know, some person with superstar status, um, you know, you don't have to immediately go out and do what they tell you to do, but keep it in the back of your mind and don't disregard it. Let that help you influence your own decisions. Um, you know, and there's, there's was plenty of times when, you know, I was, it was around 2013 or so I was getting offers from, 
I got I got an offer from Steve Aoki's manager to remix one of his songs. And, you know, even still, you know, that's not my type of music. But being a young person, it's like, you know, I'm not going to sell out. I don't want to, you know, work with that BS. I want to do my stuff. You know, that's pop. That's pop music stuff. And, you know, while that may be true, you know, sometimes you have to make if you want to make a career out of what you're doing, you have to maybe do things you don't want to do to further yourself or to make more money. Mm-hmm. And whether that be selling out or not, don't let your, you know, it's a slippery slope. You know, you don't want to compromise what you believe in. But at the same time, you don't want to screw yourself over from opportunities. Yeah, right. And that's a fine little tightrope to walk. And, you know, maybe I could have done that stuff a lot better. Um, but all I can do now is continue to be the best music maker I can be and, yeah. you know, go from there. Yeah. Yeah. I just learned from that. Right. Take right. all that into consideration. So when you were first getting into this and like grabbing shows and stuff like that, and you were just like an average, you know, civilian uh, like us over here, um, how did it, when you started, like, obviously you get some, some sort of fame out of becoming a DJ and stuff. How did you, uh, I think the word, like accumulate yourself to that kind of lifestyle, like acclimate, thank you, acclimate yourself to that kind of lifestyle. Um, like over time, I'm always curious and like how you transition into that from just like, um, you know. it was, it was something that I, it was, Especially in LA. it was something that honestly, it was something I had to cope with because, around the same time that I started doing it was around the same time where, you know, I don't want this to sound dark or something like that, but it was, it was hard for me to really accept and embrace that role that I was in because around the same time, you know, everybody was wanting to, not everybody, but you know, a lot more and more and more people wanted to be DJs and wanted to, you know, I didn't want to, I felt like I was involved in something that was kind of a phase or like a bandwagon type deal. And I never fully embraced what I was doing because, you know, it's like you, like, for example, my family, a lot of my family in the South, very conservative, want you to just get a blue collar job, go to church you know, and it wasn't something that I could relate to them about. And they never understood what I was doing. They yeah. didn't support it. You know, my wife, her mom, um, I've known her since, you know, 2018. And her mom supports my stuff more than my actual mom or my real family. And it was something that, you know, I always kind of had in the back of my head, like, you know, is this the right move? Is this something I want to do? I don't want to be part of a trend or a fad. Um, And that was something that kind of ate away at me. And I never really did embrace and go fully in on being a traveling DJ. In my head, I wanted to, my main goal was to make music. Mm -hmm. And being a DJ was one of the only ways to really make money and, and, play my music live for people Uh Mm -hmm. you know it's like i could i could just you know kind of like burial you know just sit at home and not really be out there in the public eye and make music and but i wanted more i just didn't know exactly what i wanted or how to get it as far as getting my music into the hands of the right people maybe for movies or games and now and you know 
2021, there are so many amazing producers out there and it's, you know, it's, you have a lot of competition now because a lot of these guys, you know, they ain't playing with their stuff that they're putting out. There's so mm-hmm. many great musicians out there right now. It's like kind of back, you know, 10 years ago when dubstep was just starting, I feel like everybody was kind of on that same playing field where everybody was kind of learning and evolving. And now it's like, you know, the game has changed. There's definitely a machine behind it. Not only are people putting out really top quality music, they have a top quality manager or promoter Mm -hmm. behind them to push their stuff. And it's like a snowball effect. It's a, it's a definite machine, you know, and I, sometimes I don't thrive in those um, environments and environments, you yeah. know, it's like, I'm the kind of person where, you know, I'm going to do, I'm going to do me. And sometimes people can't really tell me any different. And, yeah. you know, as far as musicality goes, um, sometimes it works out, but business wise, I'm not necessarily the best businessman, you know? Mm-hmm. So what have you noticed within, cause I mean, a lot of that stuff also comes with like networking and, and, things and honestly like i think for some of us it's easier to network amongst artists than it is necessarily amongst the general population not that you know to say there's anything wrong with that or whatever i just noticed it's more comfortable amongst ourselves you guys are just elite the elite of the elite you know (laughs) i i just we're i don't know i feel like producers and artists in general tend to be a little bit different especially more socially introverted um i think we can pull it off being out in public but i think we thrive artistically in with the blinders on you know for me Um, so how do how do you kind of balance networking and what do you want to do as far as moving forward like you know working on networking with the right people to get into gaming and Cause I mean, like, you know, we talked about it. We've got, we met a buddy who's work, who just signed a game for Sony and, you know, we tagged you in the post to get your name out there, you know, to try to get, get some work for you on a game that's going to be released on Sony, you know? Um, that's awesome. Yeah. So what else are you looking to do and kind of what advice would you give to people? Cause I mean, you know, you've been doing this for a while as far as the, the things that work with networking and things that, may need to be improved on and kind of what you personally want to work on? Um, As far as the networking aspect, honestly, for me, it's easier to talk to the general public or, you know, your average everyday person rather than contact other producers. um, Because I feel like there's this, whether it may be or not, there's this underlying vibe or underlying instinct when I talk to somebody, I don't want them to think that I want something out of them, mm-hmm. you know, and like with, with other producers and other artists, like I don't want them to feel like I'm trying to ride their coattails or bite off of their, what they have going. Yeah. And so a lot of times it just ends up with me not networking because I don't want to come off of that to, as that person. Cause I know how it feels and people have done it to me where you know, they contact you and they want something out of you. And I never want to be that guy that I want. I would love to work with people in a way that we can mutually benefit, but mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to be the guy that asks something and it only benefits me. And that's why it's a lot easier for me to talk to the public because they don't want anything out of me other than me to make music. And I feel like 
that is a good starting point, you know, and it, it, for me to, I've had people message me and, you know, Hey, here's my song, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, there's a wrong way and there's a right way to initiate networking and conversation with people. And I try not to ever do that with any other artists is make them feel like, you know, I want a piece of what they have, or I'm trying to, um, you know, be a competition to them or use them for some reason. Well, and I know, um, real quick, I just want to say thank you for hopping on with all of us. Because, oh, for sure. absolutely. you know, I know, you know what it's like to have people try to be along for the ride and not actually be a friend or be genuinely supportive of, of our passion and our work. So, you know, it means a lot that you're willing to just hop on here and, and, you know, as cyber optics and just, you know, sit down with us and kind of chat. Um, and what would you say from your personality type is the right way to hand somebody a tune or send a label out there so that, cause I mean, I don't think people necessarily are taught the right way to approach an artist in a business sense. They're not. Yeah, they're not. So um, what, what, what works for you or works with you when talking to other artists? Um, first off is if I, it's if, if I even get a response and if, if I hit you up and you don't respond, I'm not going to take it personal. I know that even it, with me, sometimes it's hard for me to get back with everybody and you know, it is what it is. Sometimes you have to get lucky, catch someone at the right time. Um, and I, I, sometimes what I see is, you know, it's kind of like you ever try to watch a guy pick up a gir- pick up girls yeah. and uh, he's he's really excited and he's in a good mood and he's happy. But then he gets turned down once and then, you know, all of a sudden the girl's a bitch and he's right. You know, it's it's fake. It's fakeness. Yeah. It you know, that's jaded. not you showed your true colors right yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and I've seen, you know, some people try to send me a song or send me a message, maybe a day or two goes by. I haven't seen it. I didn't, I haven't replied yet. And they message back some, something very snarky or tacky, you know, like, oh, I guess you're too big to, you know, reply to anybody, blah, yeah, blah, blah. Hot shot producer, real cool. Yeah. And, you know, it's like that kind of stuff is, you know, you're only hurting yourself. Yeah. You know, it's like sometimes I've gone back a week or two and answered somebody's stuff. And that, you know, and, and, and at the end of the day, they probably think, oh, well, he's never going to reply. But when I finally get around to it, you know, it may make them motivated and feel good. Um, so that's, you know, the starting point is just getting a reply because everybody's busy now. Uh, maybe not as much with COVID, you know, but in a normal setting you know people are busy people are traveling people are working on music maybe they have families you know everybody's got stuff going on so once you get the link you link with somebody through a reply you know if it was me and say i was to talk to midnight danger somebody who i really looked up to i've never sent the guy a message i'm kind of an admirer from afar i guess Uh um and if i was to message him you know i would say you know, hey, man, I make music, too, and I want you to know that your stuff is out of all the, you know, even if, you know, it just this is my personal take, but, you know, his stuff, you know, is my favorite of that genre. And I would say, you know, hey, you know, I always show people your stuff as the gold standard. Um, 
And I also make music too. And I'm trying to get at that level that you're at. And maybe if you have a couple of minutes to talk through text, um, you know, maybe we can chat and, you know, I can show you some of my stuff and maybe you can give me some advice. And anytime somebody contacts me with something like that, I always listen to, I've never really not given anybody advice or listened to their stuff and been like, oh, this is garbage and then not never replied you know there's always some advice that you can give to somebody and it's important to be open to that advice and because if I didn't care you know I wouldn't have replied but I obviously see somebody who is looking to improve on what they do and if I can help that person I will but it's also important to you know a lot of times you know over the course of the 10 years, people have sent me music and I say, Hey, you know, I really like kind of where you're going. Um, this is what I think could be better. I'm hearing this, this, and this maybe add this. And then their reply is, Oh, well, it's meant to be that way. You know? And to me <laughs> that, you know, I don't really like that because even if it is, meant to be that way you know i don't have to know that you could just tell me all right i'll work on it and i and thanks for replying you know but when you say that it sounds like you really don't want somebody to help you get better than you want them to tell you what you want to hear yep exactly and you know there it's this is all stuff that you guys have probably encountered or you will encounter in this kind of industry Mm-hmm. And if somebody that I looked up to listened to my music and they didn't dig it as much as they as I thought they would, you know, I that is motivation for me to get back into my programs and Fruity Loops and make something that they will like. And I can Absolutely. learn from that and I can carry that over into future avenues. So it's all about, you know, taking advice learning how to talk with people, learning how to make connections. And it's rough. It's hard. Um, me personally, a lot of times I just don't have the energy to sit and network with a bunch of people because, you know, if you work full time, you come, you make music when you're off some, some days you may not even feel like it, but it's, you feel like it's something that you have to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to constantly be grinding. You have to be making yeah. stuff. And a lot of times I feel so drained that I compare it to, it's like, okay, like I'm, I'm at the, I'm, I have a pizza shop and I'm making the pizza. I cook it and now I have to go deliver it. And that's the networking part. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot to, you know, at some point, you know, it becomes like your whole life if you get into it that much, you know, yeah. and it's like, unfortunately, you know, music doesn't pay all the bills. So I have another life I have to lead in the real world away from the computer and away from music. So, I mean, there's just a lot that can be on somebody's plate. And I also like to have my time where I can kind of escape. Sometimes that's music. Sometimes it's video games, but I'm the kind of person where if I don't have my time to escape, I don't get, I get in a bad headspace. You know, I have to, I have to get in a zone where I can forget about everything. And, and usually music is that avenue because when I'm working on music, you know, I'm motivating myself. Um, you know, I'm almost like getting high off of having, making good sounding stuff. 
you know, and it's like, that's my release. Um, and when I'm networking, it's more so, you know, I'm out of that release zone and I'm into something that I feel like, you know, it can be hit or miss, you know, I could network with this person and, you know, they could dig my stuff. And I've been surprised recently with my album. I, there's a, there's a website called submit hub. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard it, heard of it, but yeah, because they have people who are content creators, they make Spotify playlists and you'll, you'll, you know, you'll pay by credits from submit hub. Say you have 10 credits and it takes two credits a piece to send to these content creators. And if they like it, they'll include it on their YouTube channel or their Spotify playlist. If they don't like it, they'll tell you why they don't like it. And, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll surprise yourself because I sent some, I sent a song off of my album to four guys and three of them chose to feature it on their platforms. And, you know, me, I'm sitting there thinking like, oh man, like they probably won't choose it or whatever. And it's just like, I still have that doubt in my ability and, it's something where I feel like, honestly, you need that as an artist, because the second you lose that, you stop improving. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not hungry to get better anymore. You think that, you know, your shit doesn't stink and you're, you know, at the max level that you can get. And so, I mean, sometimes it's good to be hard on yourself and really judgmental of your stuff because you keep improving it that way. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. Yeah. So, you know, I know COVID affected us a lot last year, um, especially in the music industry, you know, um, how did, uh, I mean, did that affect you? And, uh, some people had really, uh, positive creative moments out of it. Um, and others didn't, you know, um, it was honestly the best thing that happened to me in the last seven years of making music. Um, I was at the point where I didn't want to play shows anymore. Um, And this is not necessarily like, I don't want people to take this as complaining. Okay. Uh Um, Because at the end of the day, you can't help how you feel. And if you express that you're telling how you feel, it's not, this is not a complaint, but you know, it got to the point where it was half, half of the problem was me. And I wasn't making music as much. I wasn't making the type of music that was popular in the club scene. Uh, I kind of got out of the phase of making bangers all the time. And when you go DJ, you want somebody to DJ, you want somebody who's going to make and play bangers Mm -hmm. as far as, you know, your high level shows. And I necessarily wasn't doing that. I wasn't feeling that type of vibe because I was, you know, kind of suffering through my own, you know, depression or whatever you want to call it. I just wasn't in a good mental state as a young, you know, adult man who was trying to figure out how they wanted to handle life, you know, and that was not good for my creativity. And I was at the point where, you know, my, my income for living and paying the bills was through playing shows. Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where, you know, it became a job and it wasn't a hobby. It wasn't something that I was doing for fun. It was something I was doing to stay relevant and it wasn't fulfilling me to do that. And 
you know, I would get offers for shows when I was doing like the, the uh, Bass Monster tour for Play Me. Those shows were amazing. They were packed. The, the promoters were professional. Um, and then I had a falling out with Circle Management. And um, they took me off their roster. And, you know, I was left kind of without an agent, without somebody to handle my bookings. I went through a couple of managers slash agents, and it was okay. Um, the shows just weren't as good, and it just wasn't the same. I wasn't feeling, feeling you know, fulfilled. And, there, you know, I'm not taking myself out of the equation. There was definitely some stuff that I could have done better or handled better. Um, but it was, you know, it got to the point where I just didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Um, I didn't really enjoy you know, to some people, it's a dream, you know, get to fly everywhere for free and do something you love and make money. But, you know, when you get past all that and you start doing it for, you know, four or five, six years, you know, you get to the point where, you know, I, okay, I'm getting on this plane. I'm going to show up in a place that I've never been or unfamiliar with. I'm going to meet somebody I've never met, expect them to take care of me and pay me. Put all your trust into some random guy, pretty much. And it, it got stressful. Yeah. And I had some bad situations where people try not to pay me um, or I'd get to the hotel, my room wasn't booked or oh, I'd be with the promoter after picking me up from the airport. And the promoter is flipping out on the phone because he's lost the venue for the show for the night and they're trying to scramble and find a new venue. And I'm just there along for the ride in my head. I'm just like, oh, shit. Like, you know, like, what am I getting? What did I get myself yeah, into? Yeah. Not again. You know, it got to be 90% that every time I went to play shows. And it got to the point where it just wasn't worth it anymore. And I didn't enjoy doing it. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to get a normal job. And music's going to be something that's my hobby. And... You know, it didn't really start getting back to where I enjoyed doing it until 2020 when COVID hit. Um, you know, once everybody, you know, was kind of forced to stay inside and forced to find other avenues and be creative to get paid, you know, they couldn't play shows, you know, people are having to get creative and that just kind of, you know, sparked my own motivation to say, okay, well, you know, I'm spending a lot of this time at home. Things are crazy in the world that we live in right now. I need to escape from that and use that and channel it into my music. And that's what I did. That's when I started making Synthwave. And it was very almost, you know, therapeutic for me. When when did you decide that you were really going to go after the Synthwave? Because I remember when you started to get back into production, you were like, dude, check this out. This is cyber optics, but it's like not cyber optics. And you're like, it's Synthwave," And you sent me a couple singles and kind of, you know, as you were getting back into it, when do you really feel you hit that stride into the new direction and the confidence to, to really push forward with that? You know, like, um, did you feel comfortable going kind of going after it? I don't know. Like, I know that, you know, over the last five years, Synthwave has kind of like really gotten on, I wouldn't say, you know, extremely popular, but it's on people's radar. And, you know, it was something where me personally, I, 
I had to download new synth software and new like, and that's something I hadn't done in a while. Like I was still making music on Massive and you know just old not old old but you know like dated software and so you i said you know what i'm gonna start reinvesting i'm gonna buy some new synths buy some new drum packs you know i'm gonna um, if i want to do new things and have new motivation i'm gonna need new sounds and i downloaded a lot of um uh vsts that emulated 80s um, synthesizers nice. like the uh, Roland D50 and some others um, and just kind of learned you know took the time to kind of learn what sounds should be in this music it's called synthwave for a reason and I tried to understand the music understand the origins of it different techniques that were developed in the 80s like you know gating your reverb and stuff that I didn't do when I made dubstep um, and I'm a kind of person where if I can hear something that's done proper, I can emulate it very well and figure out and tinker with it until I can kind of get it to sound like what I'm hearing. That's what I did with, you know, Datsik and Excision and Liquid Stranger. I would listen to their stuff for a second and put on what I'm making and then, you know, kind of try to match it. Um, but I didn't really decide to go full steam on it until um, I started sharing some of the songs that I was sitting on and I would send it to people and they would say, you know, man, like you should have been doing this, you know, years ago. Um, and, and that reinforced what I was feeling because Synthwave to me, it feels like what I should have been making a long, for a long time. Mm. Um, it's not necessarily focused so much on bass you know, with dubstep and bass music, you know, that's the, that's the zeroed in focus is, you know, it's one element. It's very, you know, um, it's very rigid in that respect where, you know, everything's kind of focused on one thing, but with Synthwave, I feel sort of a freedom um, to where, you know, whatever I want to make, it will work in a Synthwave kind of template. Mm-hmm. And the, my melodic style, the kind of melodies I like to do, and the, the composition that I like to do, it flows very well with synthwave. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't flow very well with the kind of dubstep that's popular right now. Right. Um, and so I just had to realize that, you know, I had to continue doing something that I enjoyed and it wasn't dubstep as much anymore and it moved on to synth wave and it was time for me to move on too. uh piggybacking off of that i was wondering like when you decided to switch to synth wave which is a huge difference from dubstep and stuff did you feel like um you had to like rebrand and also um did you like receive any backlash from fans or like you know what I'm done with cyber optics. Yeah, I thought changed, this was, bro. Yeah, I thought this was gonna be dubstep on the new album. Now it's like happy music yeah, and nah. feelings. Um, there are probably some fans that feel that way. You know, I'm not gonna sugarcoat that sure. subject. Um, and they have a right to feel that way. Um, I can't sit there and tell them to, you know, enjoy what I'm making now. 
versus what they used to like. Like take one of my favorite. I still listen to their first two albums, Lincoln Park. I was a huge Lincoln Park oh, fan yeah. growing up because I didn't realize it at the time, but their music was very focused on the production. Mm-hmm. And they infused a lot of different styles of different, you know, electronic elements yeah. into their music. And and I grew up with that. And I loved those first two albums, but then they changed their music changed. And you know, I, I just wasn't digging it as much. Yeah. And I wish that they would have made more stuff like hybrid theory or meteora. Right, but right. you know, it's their right to change the art that they make and it's my right to feel how I want to feel about it. Yeah. And I can't really, you know, hate on anybody who wants dubstep, you know, it's like, I wish that I could make everybody happy, but as you know, we all know that's not necessarily a possible goal. Um, And, you know, the only thing I can tell them is that, you know, maybe one day, you know, something of my new stuff will click and you'll vibe with it, you know. But um, as far as, you know, picking Synthwave and choosing to do that, it is a lot different than Dubstep. And I do feel like even still, like I could do more as far as rebranding, but I can never take away my old music. And that's kind of something that I'm struggling with now is that when you when people talk about cyber optics, you know, the question that may come up is, well, is it are you talking about the dubstep or the synth wave? And it's like <laughs> I, kind of, I kind of want my music to just be all cyber optics, something that it doesn't matter what you click on or listen to. You'll like it. You know, it's like, that's why I kind of, I'm, you know, I joke around, but I call the synthwave stuff cyber optics 2.0. Well, so kind of going off of what you said, and I noticed this, you know, during your live set, everyone was really, really impressed, man. And I personally um, am hypercritical of myself as well as what I'm listening to. And I was really, really impressed as a DJ and uh, in hearing the way that you took synthwave and dubstep and build it together and art like you told a story with it and i think you blended your genres in a live manner that made sense so i think when people see you perform it live it'll make more sense you know the more oh bro it was it was a beautiful set man and the way that you built it and then evolved it was well done and i think you know personally i just want to say that and I think you portrayed the the balance of the old and the new really well in a, in a live setting. So, well, that's good to hear because you know, as far as COVID and stuff, that was the first show I'd played on a seat on a set of CDJs and a mixer in oh, over yeah. a year, and I never had played um, synthwave before, and it's a lot harder to work with in terms of DJing because I had songs that were anywhere from like 94 BPM to 150 BPM. It's not as easy Mm -hmm. as dubstep where you can just keep it 140 the whole time and just bang them off. You know, there you had like, you know, you you, sometimes you got to use the fade out and echo effect into some, into bring another track in because they're not the same tempo. And, and if you were to change the tempo, it sounds wrong. Like that's one thing. Also, it's like, you know, I don't like to necessarily, I like to keep songs around their natural tempo because a lot of times that's, you know, that's the tempo that it was made to be at. 
And as you know, for dubstep, it's easy because it's all the same tempo, but you know, to hear that you guys enjoyed it and it was something that I had never DJed before. And it was songs I'd never played out. I only found their BPM like a couple of days before when I was getting my set ready and, you know, kind of line them up in what order I want to play CDs, man. Like people don't realize you played on CDs. So that stuff wasn't auto synced on record box. Oh yeah. I play CDs. Yeah. Wow. That's actually using the CD function on a CDJ is legendary. Honestly, I've I've had issues uh, in the past with flash drives, either not working or not wanting to link. Um, and also, you know, I, I have a CD case and I have CDs from shows from years ago. And sometimes I may have, you know, 12, 15 minutes left. I go through my set really quick and say, hey, you know, I'm going to play this. I'm going to pick out this CD from, you know, 2017 and pop it in and see what's on there and play some of that. Like, you know, it's I have a collection of stuff, Oh yeah, it's having fun you know, fun. and that's just kind of what I've grown accustomed to doing. And, you know, as far as the foreseeable future, I'm probably going to keep playing CDs. Yeah. Well, what the, the new three thousands, the CDJ three thousands, those don't have CD slots on them, do they? Well, or CD I'm, drives. I'm not surprised because I upgraded my computer case and it doesn't have a CD drive. On it. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're like, shit. Like, I'm supposed to burn these now. <laughs> I burn it on my wife's computer. I just put everything on Google Drive and download it on her computer and yeah. burn it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It was it was truly refreshing hearing your set and just hearing something different. And um, you know, I always like seeing artists evolve into different styles and and hearing the difference. I mean, we evolve as people and if like we're making music that is kind of us putting it out there into sound you know or what we are or what we're wanting to wanting to put out to people and i feel like that should change over our careers but um well, and, it's, and it's also not something like you know you if you know who i am and you know my music it's like to somebody who knows all of that like this this is one of the only avenues that actually makes sense for what I do and what kind of music I make. It's like, I'm not going to go make, you know, Moombaton or whatever, <laughs> you know, it's like this synth wave. It fits me. It fits yeah. my vibe. And I feel like it's something that I fit really well into. Yeah. Definitely glad you found, you know, the right place into in this electronic scene. Cause you know, if you're getting sick of it, we don't want you to, just be like, you know what? I'm done with music, but you found something else to continue and express yourself. And I could really appreciate that. Well, thank you. And, 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 and I'm, I'll never say that I'm done with music. Um, right. Um, but, you know, especially over the course of the last five years, um, you know, and nobody can really argue it. You know, you can say, oh, there's plenty of songs out there. But dubstep as a whole is not the same, you know, anymore. I'm not saying it's, you know, for better or worse. It's, you know, for worse for me personally, because, you know, you look, you know, I hate, I hate being like, you know, somebody who keeps, you know, bringing stuff and trying to live in the past, but the dubstep was more fun 10 years ago. People were having fun making it. The songs were more fun. And now it's all just a lot of heavy, crunchy, yeah. fucking 
you know, like marching band stomping and, <laughs> and just the creativity is lost. There's no theme. There's no vibe. The vibe is, you know, be like fucking going crazy. Right. And, Loud, how heavy know, can you get? Pissed. And that I'm just sounds. it's just not that's it, just not for me anymore. And it's like after playing so many shows where I show up and from nine o'clock to three a.m. it's fucking you know, the heaviest fucking yoink, 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 <laughs> fucking shit. <laughs> and I just can't handle it, dude. It's just, yeah. and it blows my mind why other DJs will go up there and play the same rhythm heavy stuff as the previous guy. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's all the vibe is just full blast for four hours. And, you know, as an audience, you know, that, that's why a movie, when people make movies, it's not explosions and car crashes from the first second to the last second. Yeah. It yep. has it has modes. It it ramps up. It drops down. It gets intimate. It, you know, it comes back up. It, yeah, it, you know, it climaxes, you know, it's yeah. like because people enjoy art more when they are taken through those different levels mm -hmm. and even when i played in indie that's kind of what i felt because you know when i showed up it was dubstep you know right up before what i played it was dubstep and we were going on from 9 to 11 45 or 11 30 from that amount of time it was all kind of the same vibe and mm -hmm. then when i got up there and started with synthwave it was something new. It gave people a chance to actually listen to what they're hearing and kind of get into a different rhythm, a different vibe. Yep. And then at the end of closer to the end, when I, when I put the dubstep back in, the people were ready to receive it. They yes. weren't turned off already. You know, they're, they were opened up and it hits more. It makes more of an impact to the audience where they get into it and, that's what every, in my opinion, every good DJ set needs. You know, it's a, it needs different modes. It needs different gears. You can't just start at full gear mm -hmm. and continue. You know, you can maybe come in hot and then, you know, dip it off a little bit, give people, a, just give people a chance to adjust to what's going on because us as humans, that's what we do. It's like you hear a ticking clock in somebody's house you know, you stay there for about five hours, you're not going to hear that clock anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, yeah. you get used to it, you drown it out, it becomes natural. And I don't think that that's what electronic music events should be. Yeah. It should be something where the audience is engaging on a large scale, not just, you know, they're just there. Yeah, and the music is just there, you know. So, I mean, that's, you know, my two cents. So as a headliner, too, because you've toured and you've played a lot of cities with a lot of different people, how important is it? How important is it as an up and coming DJ on local support for larger shows to learn how to properly play your spot? Um, I know that you've I mean, there's all kinds of horror stories that, you know, I've been told or even experienced where like a DJ will play like a cyber optics tune and like play Geisha at nine o'clock and you're like going on as a headliner. So what, <laughs> what, 
you know, from your experience touring with different people and having different openers and things like that, as an artist, do you look for and would recommend to up and comers that are just getting their names out there and going to be opening up for you or other larger artists that come through their cities? Um, at the end of the day, I think the responsibility uh, falls on the promoter that books these artists and you need to tell them I'm booking you for opening slot. I do not want so-and-so and so-and-so played. I didn't want, I want this vibe. Can you do that? And if yeah. the DJ agrees, then they're obligated to do that. But it's like, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, setting your dinner on the coffee table and expecting the dog not to get into it. It's your responsibility <laughs> to, it's your responsibility to make sure that does not happen yeah. because, you know, the dog is, it's in the dog's instinct to get the food and they're going to do it. You know, it's like, it's in people's instinct, you know, as a DJ to play what they want to hear when they DJ, not necessarily, you know, play what should be played at the slot. And, you know, I've seen some things that I agree and disagree with online where, you know, somebody will say, oh, if you're the opening DJ, you know, blow it out, you know, don't compromise your performance for somebody else. But at the same time, it I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but the people who sold the tickets aren't necessarily always the opening DJ. Exactly. Yep. They're, the head, they're the headlining act. And therefore that, you know, the show should be based around their music. Yeah, and yeah. I think it is up to the promoter to, and Matt is really good about it. And Indy, he, mm -hmm. he makes people send him demos of stuff to play a nine o'clock slot. And I think in some ways you should have to pay those dues. You know, I had yeah. to do it. I was 16 years old in Memphis and the only electronic music that was popping here was minimal techno and minimal house because all the electronic music people were old heads. They were all yeah. 15 years older than me and they were out of the, you know, breaks and hard trance and they were older. Their tastes had matured. Mm -hmm. and you know they would book me at nine o'clock and i'd play trance you know because I, and i would always complain about you know how boring the minimal house right. was you know and, and in some respects it is you know when you've been hearing minimal techno and minimal house the entire night when it's about one o'clock or 12 o'clock midnight you're trying to turn up a little bit yeah. you know and that was kind of my early introduction to the scene to the electronic music scene was here in Memphis. You know, a lot of the old heads kind of took me under their wing. They are the ones that taught me how to DJ on vinyl first. Yeah. Um, they told me, you know, I told them I, I'm making this music. I kind of want to learn how to DJ. And I think I'm just going to, you know, use a computer and DJ off my computer. And they were like, well, you know, let's, sh let's sit you down and show you how to mix. And then if you can mix, and you still want to play on a computer, then you can do that. That's fine. They taught me how to mix on some turntables. I ended up, you know, pulling off a near perfect mix of D&B my first time ever touching turntables. And they were oh, yeah. behind me. They were behind me and they were tripping out because, you know, all I did was I had the headphones on. No, sorry. Hold on. That was uh, that was. 
mother optics calling me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they sat, you know, they sat me down. They took me under their wing and taught me how to mix on um, actual turntables. And from then, I started playing local shows in Memphis, opening up for some of the old heads who were more established DJs. Nobody at this time was producing music in Memphis. There's one guy I know of named Sean O.D. And um, DJ Icy actually released one of his songs on a breaks record while like a long time ago. So he had some clout, you know. But honestly, it wasn't till, you know, I came along and I don't want this to sound like, you know, it was all me in any way because it wasn't. But I was one of the main and only young people coming to these people's shows and listening to music I necessarily didn't like just to, so I could be involved in the electronic music scene and and, you know, be involved in something that I respected um, and so I have them, I have all the old heads in Memphis to, to thank for that. Um, and then of course, you know, I, you know, started making music and, you know, went off and did my own thing. And, you know, now I'm back here in Memphis and there's a whole handful of guys who are making their own music now. And it's good to see them put in the work and mm-hmm. come up, you know, cause a lot of times these days you'll see people who, you know, they've only been making music for a year or two years and, they think that they should be headlining and, you know, oh, they ain't yeah. really putting in all the work, you know, oh, that it yeah. takes, <laughs> you know, and, you know, but a lot of the dudes in Memphis are putting in the work and I'm very proud of them. Um, very proud of all the people in my city that, you know, are doing what I love to do. Nice. Well, Alex, I think we're about to start wrapping things up here, but um, okay. I wanted to give you an opportunity. You have anything coming up we should look out for or anything um, you want to plug? I have a smaller EP coming out um, really soon. Uh, I have one track on it completely finished, and I'm working on the other two kind of simultaneously hopping back and forth. Yep. Um, I think the EP is going to be just titled what the lead track is titled, and it's uh, called DeLorean Dreams. Okay. And yeah. uh, it's very, it's what you imagine in your head. It's whatever you're thinking, that's probably what it is. Right. So it's going to be full four track of uh, rhythm. <laughs> exactly. Looking right. forward to it. Yeah, Looking I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that'll be what I'm doing next. Um, it'll be released kind of in the same fashion as my album. Um, it'll hit Bandcamp. And the release will probably be if there's three tracks on it, probably three dollars, you know, and people yeah. can pay more if they want. I always appreciate if people pay if they think that I deserve more, they pay more. That's amazing, you know. Like so real quick, um, if you want after this, man, send Mike a clip of anything that you want to promote if you've got a tune or whatever. Um, Matt's got his streams and video gaming stuff. If you want to shoot some demos over to him for his, his stream or whatever, I know he'd be happy to like feature some of your music as well. Um, uh, so yeah, like if you want to shoot over a clip of something that's going to be releasing, we can feature that after we're, we're done Uh, here. Okay. Um, how about I just make a clip after we sign off, um, I'll fade it in and out and you know, you can put it at the end. Yeah, no, that Sounds would be good. awesome. Yeah, I uh, really appreciate this, man. This is very, yeah. very awesome. Yeah. yeah, thank you guys for having me. I always love, you know, chatting about what we love doing. So oh, yeah, this was good great. all around. Yeah, 
Thanks, uh, thanks a lot, man. It's been good talking yeah. to you. Thank yeah, you, have guys. A good have a good night. All right. Bye. Bye.